yeah, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be honest with you. And there's gonna be no visual elements for uh, the the Paul upload. Sorry. I'm gonna be interviewing BH Paul, and I think this one could kind of be relatively in the same spirits as the Katrina one, just coming out from a perspective of a longtime former leader. I don't know about like leading as much in the present, if that's something you do. I think it's something that Chalk mostly does these days for BH, but it would definitely be interesting to just get a sense of all that lore and history and what it's been like, what the culture was been, has been, and how it's sort of changed over time. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. I am. Paul, I've been playing this game for longer than I should, and I've mainly been known for the, uh, my name and the clan tag I used to wear a lot, so that's kind of my reputation in a nutshell. Hmm. Okay, and uh, how did you settle on Paul as an alias? It seems so mundane, but then like just that mundaneness of it makes it uniquely powerful. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of people, it kind of has the same energy to it as a lot of other names, like uh, Dave I've, is another one that people kind of has the same ring to it at least but how i got the name at least it was just well one is my name actually so surprise surprise i don't know but it's also because i used to have a really like kind of cringe minecraft username it used to be called like pixel art paul and i eventually after like a year or two on steam i figured i should cut that part out because i was like not 12 anymore so it kind of just left it as my name which it could be a little bit basic yeah but i didn't really have anything else better to come up with at the time Hmm. Eventually the clan tag got stuck with it, and then, yeah, there you go. Fair enough. It just sort of got immortalized. Okay. How do you feel about other Minecraft-like usernames, like a good old SuperLuigi9624 back in the day? Was that something you were like, wow, these guys are chumps when you look and saw it? Is that what motivated you to change it? I don't personally judge usernames, but no, it was it was before I, way before I met anyone, and uh, it was like actually right before I started competitively dropped the other part of my name. Like, so I never, thankfully I never have, like, if you go to my prior, like, team history on UGC, you don't see it as like that. It's just, because once okay. I got a competitive, it was already Paul by then. Right, so we just get to see the Paul of fame. Yeah. Uh, oh no! <laughs> no! Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of people make puns with the... <laughs> it, rhyme, it rhymes with a lot. I've ruined everything. Paul of fame. Okay, so uh, how do you initially get into casual TF2? Casually stuff? Yeah. Uh, actually, I had a, I used to know a friend back in, like, well, I, I was going to school with him my entire life, essentially, and he's what, he's one that got me into Minecraft, too, so essentially, this is a one big domino effect, but eventually in 2014, he's like, yo, you should, put, you should get on Steam, so he convinced me to make a Steam account, and he gifted me an Unturned, which I never played, and, um, he eventually got me to install TF2, which took, like, seven hours, god, it's such a grind with my internet, but, <laughs> yeah, it's, eventually, he just got me into TF2, and then, uh, yeah, I just kind of stuck. I didn't, like. I don't think there's a day outside of like when I was like really busy where I just didn't play it. I played it like almost every day. It was ridiculous. Like eventually he stopped at, like 900 hours, and I'm still going at like almost 13k. So it's kind of ridiculous. So I guess all because of a friend I used to know. I see. And what? How did that end up translating to you getting into competitive? Was it just like you're putting so much time into it already that it just was a sort of natural transition for you? Well, yeah, it's a, kind of weird, but I think w I didn't really know about competitive that much. I kind of knew vaguely, but I had no idea how to get into it. I was always kind of afraid to like actually like sit down and figure out how to get into it and all that. So I just kind of, I didn't even really watch it either. So it was kind of just a blur until I started hearing more and more about it. Like I used to play on this achievement server 
that's actually where I met Poseidon, and he would, he was talking about competitive with some other random guy in the server, and I was like, okay, that seems a little bit interesting. And also, I started playing TF2 Center a little bit too, because I was just like, you know, I might as well practice. But I never actually figured out how to make get on a team until I asked one of my friends. I think he actually still plays sixes. I forgot his name, but some some roamer, and um. He's just like, just go on the forums and make an LFT. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, is that easy? And also some inspiration was, I also just kind of wanted the metal, honestly. They, they, they look really cool. I, I really wanted the eagle ones at the time, but I didn't know they like rotated them out. So I kind of just wanted the badges. And yeah, so I finally found my way onto the forums and made an LFT. And then, yeah, the rest is history from there. And that was like really, that was like January 2016, I believe. Oh, wow. Decent bit ago now. It's crazy it's been that long, yeah. It doesn't feel yeah. like it's been that long compared to other people, but still like six over six years, which is ridiculous. Do you recognize many names from back then? A little bit. Um, I actually didn't really pay attention much to players back then, but I know Katrina was definitely around at that time, at least more in the summer 2016. She rang for us once, and that's actually why I added her on Steam. Um, Poseidon's still around. He's probably the oldest player I know. I didn't really talk to him in 2015 much, but I didn't know we didn't know of each other's existence because he would always outsnipe me on the server when I was a sniper main. And um, yeah, that's about it. A few minor other other people, but yeah, I definitely know a few people from back then. But it's mainly my like my friend circle rather than just in general. Hmm, I see it. That makes sense. Yeah, is it the sort of thing where it's just like when you're starting out, you're just not really that caring of the wider community. Like you just sort of pay attention to you and your own friends. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good way of putting it. Like, I wasn't really, I'm still not really involved in much. I barely, I don't even really pug that much. But like, yeah, I just wasn't really paying attention to the, everything around me back then. Not even the admins. I didn't even know my division admin, any of that shit. For like, that, uh, yeah. And did you know you were kind of like gonna play heavy from the start of it? Like, is that something you started doing in casual? Like, what led to you playing heavy in Highlander? It's actually a good question because um. Back when I first started, I didn't really have a main. I just main whatever I felt like at the time. Like, I main Sniper for, like, three months, I think, then Spy for a couple months in 2015. And at the time when I made my LFT, it was actually originally for Engineer. Um, my LFT was LFT Engineer, Heavy, and Scout. But since no one really plays Heavy, or at least I'm assuming back then, and uh, I, they asked me to try out Heavy. I never got any other tryouts, just, like, I got two offers, and I only stuck with the first one, but I never got any engineer tryouts or anything like that. But yeah, originally it was engineer. I, I started, I think I fully committed to heavy after I got on a Highlander team, which I, I mean, I played him a little bit before. I only had like 200 hours on heavy, but like, yeah, that's why I fully committed to it was after I started maining in Highlander. Hmm. And is that when you touched heavy's gun? <laughs> yeah, essentially. <laughs> that's such a good one. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, the closed captions. I, I, for some reason, I didn't know what you were talking about, but I forgot the captions on YouTube were, like display my name for some reason. <laughs> yeah. They just knew. They foretold the future. <laughs> Being uh, useful. So yeah, I have that on my profile now. It's funny mm. that I forgot about it. It's, you, it's classic. Do you think it was a prophecy? <laughs> Did you watch I guess, it? I guess, I guess in a way, yeah. I see, I see. <laughs> Valve can predict the future. Hmm, okay. And what was it like starting out as a heavy and Highlander back then? Uh, it was actually really fucking easy, because I, I might have been overprepared a little bit, which slowly wore off over time as, as I, I climbed up the ladder. But back at Iron, I started at like, I had like 3,000 hours at the time with like over 100 lobbies, which isn't much. But for an Iron, it apparently was. Like, I think my first scrim, I almost went, my first ever scrim, I would say February 2016, it was Badwater against some random players. 
don't remember any of them. But I almost went on a godlike, and I was like, this is awesome. It was great. And I was getting probably eating up too many heals, too. But yeah, it was it was amazing the first couple of weeks, for the first season, actually. There's so many good moments where I was just like, I'm just king of the team right now. Like, it's awesome. The only one that was like, kind of like getting as many frags as my sniper, because sniper. So it was great at the start. And it was sort of like a marathon, kind of like initially, you just like sprinted forward, and then you encountered struggle, and as you kind of moved on. Oh, definitely. Steel for some reason, I don't, I don't remember that many highlights of Steel because, uh, and that was the season, uh, because when I started in Iron, the next season they just got rid of it, so I was still in the lowest dip in season twenty. So it, it, for some reason, that season wasn't that like good for me, and season twenty one was just really bad. And then season twenty two was like I kind of had a, like one good more like one more good season where I got a lot, like a lot of good plays. But after that, so that's when I really like kind of kind of went downhill or maybe just stagnated. I don't know. But after season twenty three, where I start like hard suck silver, yeah, I kind of just stagnated after that. Hmm. And do you th- could you kind of attribute to that to like the rate of which you initially kind of progressed and moved through the divisions? Do you feel like you just kind of didn't end up progressing enough compared to the other people you played with? Do that at initial initial starting advantage. Yeah, I probably just didn't progressive enough. Like it's uh it's a class that's not that good in general, but you can make it work sometimes, but I just wasn't I just wasn't I guess good enough to push it that far. So I kinda just stagnated at the time. Mm, I and maybe see. a little bit <laughs> a little bit now, honestly, too. <laughs> I respect the humbleness. So um were you leading from the start or like what sort of led you to becoming the leader for Blackjack and Hook, or as if not? That's a that's a good question. Um, originally, I did not want to lead it whatsoever. I was just like, I, there's no way I'm gonna I'm gonna be a good idea for that. Like that's just you know, easily mess up instantly. So season 19, 20, 21, I was just like, no, I'm just there. I'm playing the heavy. I that's it. But in season twenty two, I was I was the co lead with uh because we kind of had the comeback season because our original BNH team died in season twenty after two seasons, and then I did some other stuff with. Most of the BNH members. We made a team called uh, the Best Fair Process, which was kind of its own legacy team uh, to an extent. And um, after that, we came back. We did a comeback season with my old leader, Phoenix and Lorgan, and I decided to be a kind of a co-leader, but I didn't really do much. But after that season, though, everyone literally left for some reason. I thought, you know, let's keep the team alive. So, out of the nine players, I even actually out of the twenty-one players on the roster, everyone left except my soldier. In my pyro sub, and I just decided, you know, let's just lead it from here for some reason. And now it's just, yeah, the rest is history. And it was an uphill battle that season to get, you know, six other players. I mean, uh, seven other players on your team, but it ended up working for like really well, actually. Hmm. I don't think I could ever replicate that after. Well, I did once, but I don't think I could ever replicate that now, at least. Hmm. And why do you think that is? Like, has it been oh. just, like, a sort of cultural shift in the players and, like, leadership in teams? Or, like, do you think it was just really all down to luck? Uh, a little bit of luck, but there's definitely a little less players. I remember there's, like, there's a lot of people. I got a lot of tryouts that season. Even though it was a pain to get seven people, seven other people, there was definitely a good amount of tryouts. Just none of them were ticking. But now of them, nowadays, it's more, like, a little bit harder to find. Or maybe I'm just, like, I could be wrong, but it's just not as many players... Hmm, I see. Do you think it's due to the division sizes, maybe, that it's harder to find, like, an adequate person, like, an adequate amount of players within the Ranger? Uh, that could actually be a thing. I never thought about that, but yeah, Silver used to just be this one huge division, like, they got rid of Iron, I mean, that didn't really matter, but they got rid of Gold, 
So that kind of made it a little bit... They kind of expanded the division a little bit back then. But even then, it was like... The average division was like fairly larger than most... Like, than the relative RGL comparisons, yeah. For sure. Like, Silver was like... I can't remember the average amount of teams, but there was a good amount. I think 23 had like about 30-ish. A lot, obviously, a good like a good chunk died because that's just how it is in Highlander. But there was like thirty teams in silver. It was pretty ridiculous at the time. Hmm. And do you think it was harder to progress through the divisions back then, past like steel? Uh yeah. Depending on, depends. Yeah, but obviously, since they got rid of gold, it was a little bit harder. Well, and then again, I've heard a lot of stories of people getting hard stuck gold. So, but yeah, for me, I'd never really got the chance to move up to platinum at the, when it was still good. So I I would say it's kind of hard depending on like how good you are as a player and all that. Hmm. And do you think that maybe added more health to the scene of the game per se compared to the modern day where it's like a lot easier to just speed through the divisions and move up? Uh, I'm actually not sure, but I know at least for RGL, it's definitely like it's easier to climb until you get to like advanced, I think. And then like, I don't really see it's, I don't see many players like speedrunning and then just going to invite that often. Right. Invite's like, basically like, impossible. Yeah, invite's kind of slowly slowing down for players, but who knows? It could change any second. It's hard to predict stuff like that, but yeah, it's easy to speedrun until you get to that point at least, which is sort of sort of mirrors you just see a little bit. Hmm, I see, I see. But then it's like a bit worse kind of with just like how many more teams there were back then compared to now kind of within the divisions yeah it's uh i'm not i haven't been paying attention to lower divisions in rgl but back then there's a lot of players like my first season of iron there's a ton of teams it was helped it was a summer season too but yeah there's a lot of teams in iron like the lower divs were crazy huge back then even like they were even larger before i started like there's a point where they had to split them up into two like iron red and blue that was pretty ridiculous steel <laughs> as well i'm pretty sure which side are you on? Steel red or steel blue? <laughs> yeah, that's just crazy, the fact that that many people were playing the game at some point. That's, it, it's honestly fascinating. I wish I was around. I wish I started a little bit earlier. Yeah, same here. I think I started on uh, season 19 as well, yeah. Yeah, that was a kind of a magical season for a lot of people. I know like so many people that started around that era, or at least like, a, like 18 or 17, around that point in time in UGC history. Hmm. Do you kind of miss those days looking back at it, just like the sheer amount of players in the game? Uh, yeah, a little bit, yeah. It was definitely a little bit easier for scrims, I've noticed, because there's just so many teams. I would just scrim teams. I, like, there's sometimes I scrim a team once an entire season, and we wouldn't even play them. We would not even play them in the, during the season because there's just that many. But it's also it's hard to say. Hmm. Do you think there's more of a sense of like division identity and just sort of community between the teams and the divisions due to them being so much larger and there being a lot more players? It's possible. I think it was just like easier to get scrims back then because I noticed like things were a little bit more intertwined because Discord wasn't really as popular. Well, it was still used, but it wasn't used for scheduling. And I, that was like kind of the last stand for when it came to um, Steam group stuff. I noticed like they used to use Steam groups and just Steam DMs for scheduling stuff until like I would say the RGL Discord came around, or then people right. just started using Discord from then. So, do you think maybe there was just like a bit more of a personal element to things back then, and maybe that had a positive effect on the community? That's yeah, it's possible, but it's hard to say because I I didn't I only schedule I mean I only scheduled scrims for three seasons before we moved to RGL. 
Okay, okay. So, um, what was Heavy like back then? Like, was there much of... Did you interact much with the other Heavy mains? Was there much of a sense of class idea? Did you have any, like, collaborative discussions, roundtables, stuff like that? Oh, not at all. Heavy's a pretty, uh, bland class. I personally still like it, but not much synergy. There's a few people outside in the non-competitive Heavy mains. There's, like, a weird cult going on So for non-competitive Heavy mains, I swear to God. But, um, it's called, like, the Heavy Warriors or some shit. That's, uh, a whole story but uh as for competitive yeah no one really cares that much and as for the class itself it didn't really change when i was playing the only thing that was, i would i wish i didn't um uh, i wish i used more was the eviction notice because i was actually really good back then it was, it was basically just a better group in my opinion and then but yeah, that was the only thing that really changed class wise was they nerfed the melee weapons changed the damage a little bit and that was it I see. And do you think it would be like interesting or beneficial to see just more of a sense of collaboration between heavy mains, at least like from a purely social community side of it? Uh, it's possible. It's just there's not really much to say. I've noticed like engineer mains, like they're really tight sometimes because just like the class isn't strong either. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a good class, but it's at least interesting. It's pretty. You can be very creative on engineer and all right. that. And pyre for that matter, like both of those two, yeah. Oh, for sure, yeah. But heavy is just minigun, and that's it. There's hmm. not much diversity in the playstyle unless you just want to troll. I see. <laughs> Have you ever considered making like a brass beast or an Atoshical and just forming like a heavy cartel where all the heavies run that and just ruin the game for everybody in competitive? And then if they try and cut any of the heavies, they all just quit and there's no heavy players left? Not sure how to respond to that, but yeah, it would be kind of comical because people don't really like the Natasha. I think it's the worst one, but it's still fun. The Bryce Beast, however, that shit's fun as hell. I used to run it sometimes in competitive, like on upward first or CP Steel B point, but uh, I remember Poseidon just was like, stop doing that. I'm like, okay, fine. Do you think uh, you'd be interested in organizing this potential plan? Uh, no. No? Not a fan of the Heavy Cartel? Yeah, I just don't really talk to other heavy players that often. Honestly, I don't really... I rarely interact with them. The only one I would say is it's people that are in my Discord that happen to play heavy. Hmm, okay. <coughs> okay. Definitely fair to hear, yeah. Hmm. So, how do you feel most of the Highlander maps are for heavy? Do you think, like, that most of them provide an awful opportunity for heavy? Like, what, what are your sort of perspectives on the maps as a heavy main? Uh, for the current pool for RGL, it's kind of interesting. It could go either way. It depends on what div you're into. The lower the div, anything can work. But I've noticed, playing, I actually got to play a full season and invite the, uh, last season for season 11. And there are some maps that were just, just absolute agony for me. Uh, Cascade was pretty rough, but you, there's an under at least, so it's kind of fun. Uh, product was kind of rough, but that might have just been my team thing. I'm not sure, but outside of playing Cliff, I don't really see much opportunity for heavy on product unless, like I said, they're just letting you walk at them, which I never get the blessing to do. Right. Upward's always fun on heavy. I mean, it's defense. You just sit in a spot and hope they feed into you. CP Steel's probably the best because there's not much area where they can just run away and like avoid you. Because like that's what heavy's like biggest enemies outside the other classes is just like a wall they can just go around <laughs> and it's like well shit i can either keep slowly revving and walking at them or i can unrev and risk getting this uh, demolished like so steel's pretty good for that a lot of them have them having to come to you along with other payload maps like swiftwater right. is pretty all right i guess 
So, and, but mainly the cost maps are a struggle because sniper. And do you think that's like an inherent problem with heavy and competitive, or do you think it's a sort of thing where it's just like the the map creators don't like plan around or allow heavy players to sort of do enough? Uh, it's mainly it's more on the class than the map for the most part. Like when when a sniper is owning, that's not just affecting the heavy; that's affecting everyone. When the sniper has like good positioning on stuff right. like on lakeside or something like that, like that, he's just gonna destroy everyone. Like heavy just happens to be the easiest to hit because he's so like out of position or like hard to rotate with. Yeah, and yeah, that's... like making a map like balancing around like making sniper not as good. That's a pretty hard task. So I'm not sure how they're gonna. I don't have a uh, solution to that. Uh... I'm not a map creator. How do you feel about no sniper zones, where it's like, if a sniper tries to enter a certain part of the map, they get insta-killed? Do you think that could have the change we need? That'd be a little bit goofy, but, uh, I mean, I don't know. I think they just need to put a, like, sometimes they just need the wall-off areas, so we have to, like, at least be a little bit more forward, instead right. of just sitting back and hoping the spy or other sniper gets them. Because if he's winning the SVS and the spy sucks, you're, that's it. Every other class can't really do much. I mean, you can maybe spam a detonator or two at him, but you're, you're not doing much. Right. Especially on heavy too. Like even Tomislav or not, like you're not kidding that sniper. Or do you think maybe there could be like more of a risk sort of reward thing with sniper positioning? Like as a design philosophy, take like with some of the cascade changes where it's like you have to kind of push up more to like areas where you're more flankable to be able to have like a really strong sight line there. Uh, something like that. I think Asheville kinda does it alright, because all the snipers bitch fast they're not they're not being a good sightline, it's like good. <laughs> you can do so much damage. Like, come on, give us some slack here. <laughs> okay. Uh, how do you feel about head glitches? Like, sort of, like, crates or, like, around lakeside? Uh, maybe a bit of toxic as well, I guess. Like, do you think that's something that's, like, inherently important to heavy on competitive maps due to, like, oh, uh, sp spam and sniper? Oh, absolutely. Head glitch is, like, the only thing the class has going for it. I try to I get as many head glitches as I can. Like, uh, uh, they, got, they changed one that was pretty sad, but... Um, yeah, the head glitches are the best. I think there's one on Millstone, if you've ever played that. that was probably the <gasps> Millstone! Best yeah, that was probably the best head glitch I ever experienced. And obviously, like said, is a really nasty one if they feed into you. Um, so yeah, head glitch is probably the only thing, the only cool gimmick Heavy has. So yeah, unless you're like really obsessed with like, sandwich tossing, like there's really not much you can do. Heavy, like head glitching is just like something that's like, that's your one trick you can maybe pull on the enemy right. team. So do you think in, like, the maps where you sort of, like, struggle more as heavy typically, like, would you advocate for just more, like, sort of head glitches or opportunities for heavy to really have more sort of impact there without entirely getting shut down by Sniper? It'd be nice, yeah, because there's a few maps where it's just, I'm just out in the open. Like, if you try to head, every time I tried to head glitch on Rock, my team would just be like, don't stand there, and I don't blame them because I would just instantly get demolished. In Asheville, I, I don't really get a chance to play boxes that much. And obviously we don't play Millstone, and we didn't play Lakeside last season, so there's just not really many opportunities. But if it utilized correctly, it could be pretty nasty. I saw a couple of times in Asheville where the head is just on boxes like getting a 3k, and it's like, well, this sucks. So I noticed that you like brought up Millstone, yeah. Is that something that you think would be kind of like interesting to play if it was like worked on more as a heavy player? Like, Do you think there just needs to be more maps in the pool that can allow heavy to, to do things, or do you think it's just like good to have a bit more diversity in that sense it'd be nice but i know for a fact no one's gonna ever want to play a map just because it's better for heavy not a single person outside of heavy mains and millstone especially i had a blast on it you know i've never oh, yeah, had same experience here. on millstone i've played it all three times it's been played season 20 22 and the xp the first xp cup rgl hosted and i won every single one and but 
I know for a fact. No one likes that map except maybe other heavy players. No one liked it. I like and it. I can't, so I don't want to force them to play it again. But I personally enjoyed it. Wait, does that make me a heavy main? Uh, possibly. I mean, shit. Okay. I, don't know, I, I haven't played on any other classes, so it might have been good for them too. But I only played on heavy. Yeah, I think it was really fun for Soldier Power, but then I think the main issue that people had with Millstone was like the developer not wanting to work with the community and make updates. I think. Yeah, I don't know the whole lore behind that. I just remember it was like it was originally like a Halloween map, and I'm like, how the hell did this get in? Mm, yeah, it was interesting for sure. Okay. Mm. All right. Let me think for a second. So, as a heavy player, do you find yourself usually more trying to be like the more aggressive member of your combo, or the more passive between you and the pyro? Like, who do you think is usually better to have on exchanges, as a general rule of thumb, or at least for you personally? Oh boy, that depends. Usually, aggressive heavy, uh, I personally think it sucks, unless you like have a team with you, because heavy is just mainly there to like soak up damage that, so your demo doesn't die, because you're not going to be the one doing damage. So, I don't know. Pyro, I guess, could be a little bit more passive than Heavy, because Heavy's just mainly that meant to take the damage or meant for other players. But in exchanges, sometimes I will admit, if they have to come in you, I do like it when a Heavy takes an Uber. Like, upward, say, upward last, Heavy's great for that. If you're, like, holding tiles, and they have to come into you, like, they're just gonna, like, they can't do anything. Like, they can't just, you're revved up, ready to shoot. Like, they have to instantly, like, shred you, or else you're gonna, you're gonna farm them. I don't know, it could depend though, because, you know, Heavy's really slow, so you're not going to be able to chase anything, so it's just, like, a, if it's a defensive Uber, Heavy's pretty good, like, if there's, like, three seconds left on the clock on a Koth map, I usually, like, they take an Uber, because it's just, like, they're feeding into you, because they have to get to the point, that's where Heavy shines, is where they have to come to you, at least in my opinion. Hmm, okay. Um, so do you have other sorts of maps that you think really, like, play or weld Heavy, or, like, that are really good for Heavy on exchanges, like, more aggressively speaking? Yeah, that's how it's... Yeah, I'm not sure. Outside of, Steel's good for heavy, but I'm not sure how good it is for ubered heavy. Hmm. I think it just depends on how the game's playing out, because there's a huge jump between how heavy is and like lower divs and higher divs, at least in my opinion. Right. Or I just suck. It's hard to say. How about something like Vigil? Do you think that's a map where like you can be a bit more aggressive, typically as heavy, for exchanges and in general? Uh, a little bit. There are... I don't know about aggressive, but heavy, Vigil is just a good heavy map as well for me. There's a lot of cool spots you can stand and just not die as often. Right, okay. So you'd say it's also kind of cool just having those like little spots, those little bits of cover that you can sort of just be a presence in, and it's like really easy to punish enemies for not knowing you're there, but then if they know they're there, it's like kind of they can kind of work around it, right? So it's interesting to have that dynamic where you're not necessarily like just standing next to combo. Yeah, like, there's just a lot of nice spots to stand, because it's just, you just made me feel a little bit safe. I know as things have changed, Heavy's more, they put him on the flank a little bit more for Modern Vigil, which, I'm pretty bad at doing that, but I try to, but, yeah, it's just a good Heavy map in general, I guess. Hmm, okay. And, do you find yourself naturally going to the flank much on maps like, let's say, Asheville, Product, I guess, Vigil as well, for that matter, Lakeside? Like, what are the sort of cases where you'd typically be more likely to rotate? Um, I'm very bad at flanking. I flank heavy. I just personally think heavy's like meant to just be with the medic a lot because that's just what he's for. He's meant to protect the med and then eat damage. So it's hard for me to flank, but I, I don't know. It's just rough for me to play flank in general. Like product flank, not really my thing. I I don't like playing concrete whatsoever. Like it's just really easy to like get rid of the heavy there. 
I've had so many times where my flank just kills the heavy, or like once you know he's there, at least. Obviously, sneaking up on people's good no matter what. But once you know he's there, it's it's just I don't see it being that good most of the time, hmm. unless the other team doesn't know how to counter it. And uh, yeah, other and payload maps is kind of just uh, yeah, that's usually not happening either. Right. Okay. How about the Thomas Lab? Do you think that sort of helps with that sort of goal at all? Uh, kind of. I think I don't know if it's a weird take or not, but I think the Silent Rev is uh overrated because people don't really utilize. I, there's rare instances where like someone's like here's a heavy's minigun and they're like oh this shit there's a heavy nearby no no unless it's like in sixes or something i don't no one really actually pays attention to the rev sound unless they're like at least from my experience so i think the rev sounds kind of like not as good but the, it's more the accuracy that matters for the hmm. thomas what so about it just depends on like if they're farther away from you it's a lot easier to use thomas Lab for that situation what about the Thomas Lev, like, so you don't have a rev sound for yourself, so you can maybe hear Spy easier? Like, if you're playing more aggressively on the flank, do you think there'd be benefit for that? Uh, I don't know about the rev sound, like, blocking out Spies. I think that's more of, like, how loud your, like, game is. So I guess a little bit. It's also, since you're playing Highlander, you're hearing eight other people. That's that's, that I, that's the reason I struggle so much to sometimes when it comes to Spies. Like, I actually rely more on my, like, timing rather than my ears. For at least Highlander. Fixes is, like, it's actually crazy how much I can hear them now that like less people are talking, but in Highlander, it's just a lot of people talking, so you have to like really mess with your volume to make sure you're like not getting obviously like ear checked and losing. Right. Okay. And do you usually find yourself committing from the same angles as your combo, or slightly different angles? Like, let's say on mid fights on Asheville, um, would you ever find yourself going like crates and trying to set up a crossfire at all, or do you usually find it more effective to just sort of stack more resources near your medic? Uh, it goes either way. Uh, this season on Asheville, they they would always tell me to like my team would like you're hu you're hugging the wall on the left. You do that, and I'm I was fine with that. So I I try to go boxes once for a while though. But for product, it's kind of random. It just depends on what side they call the f focus at. So that could be left or right. And Cascade, that's a a mixed bag. Like I was going uh cave. I was going under. I was just going hard left, hard right. Like I was doing all kinds of stuff on the mid fights. Hmm, I see. Um, okay. And let's say on something like Lakeside, like, do you, um, do you n normally, like, end up being, like, the first one to rotate, or is it something you'd find yourself doing, like, okay, the, like, the enemy has rotated things over to here, like, do, are you usually the one to match that, or what, like, do you let them do it first, yeah? Um, I'm not sure, when it comes to Lakeside rotations, I kind of just, like, stay on a side, I want to stay on a side where there's less spam, or where the sniper's not looking. Because I love playing head glitch, but if he's bats, I cannot play there. Well, like, I guess my general question is, do you think it's better f to wait for the enemies to send resources onto the flank and sort of match that, or, like, increase your commitment to the flank and wipe them out? Or do you think it's usually better to be the team that sends more people to the flank first? It just depends. I guess it just depends on how much their flank's, like, a problem. Like, at least on product, if their scout soldiers just constantly winning, or, like, they have an extra player and you don't, that's usually when you want to, like, send some extra resources over there, for, at least in my opinion. So I guess it just depends, like, how much you, you're needed over there. At least, I don't know. Some people like to play concrete on product in general, but for mm -hmm. me, I'd rather just, like, only go over there if it's, like, we really need it. Right. Pyro can just stay with the combo, or vice versa. Sometimes you can send a pyro over there. Okay. Um, pyro's a little bit more versatile when it comes to denying stuff. Right, right, because it's like they can physically reflect it, whereas if heavy, if you don't stall them initially, like, they can still die fairly easily, yeah. Yeah, you can just, like, push everything away, it's great, but, yeah, you get, you get the idea, though. Mm. How much time do you usually send, spend spy tricking? 
Uh, a good amount. The like, on product, I spy check a lot. Asheville, I spy check a lot. It's mainly just cough map. If I'm in a singular spot and I don't have to worry about other stuff, because there are sometimes where it's hard to check for bombs and for spies, but right. for the most part, I do spy check a lot because I do. I do sometimes I over spy check and then I just get nothing done. Or, or sometimes the spies just win it anyways. But I do like to try to spy check as much as possible because, yeah, it's a one shot. Don't How- want that to happen. How about during Uber exchanges? Like, is it normally something where it's like you're thinking the spy is going to go on like right when you start to walk and try to aggress yourself, so you will turn around? Or do you think it's more important to just keep forward committing as a heavy and rely on something like your pirate to deal with spy there? Uh, depends. Usually, usually spies like to go on right. Be- Sometimes spies used to go. Uh, at least when I used to play a lot in silver, they would always like be ready right before we were about to take an Uber. So I'd like to check there, but yeah, I guess just try to check before an Uber charge. I guess. But during an overcharge, it's a little bit hard to focus. Like, think about a spy. But before, definitely. Right, okay. And do you find yourself as heavy, just like being kind of like slow, clunky, like a tank like class? Do you find yourself just trying to think of like what the enemy team sees based off your positioning? Like, do you ever try and like feign a rotation or rotate a little bit away to bait them into making a play you'd want them to make? Like, let's say on product, moving a little bit away from Cliff to try and force them to bomb, to like entice them to bomb into you so you can get like picks or anything? Or do you, or is that like usually a dot like that deep? I don't know if anyone like, I could be wrong, but I don't know if anyone looks into it that hard because I don't know, Heavy's just kind of there. But sometimes I do like to bait him in, but usually not in situations like that. Right, okay. It's just kind of tricky. Fair enough. So, um, do you think the culture around just sort of combo, like, Heavy's positioning, like, Heavy versus Pyro when it comes to aggression versus passiveness, like, do you think that's something that's sort of changed much since you started, or has it stayed kind of consistent or just team-based? I think it's just a div difference, like, at least back in the day. Like, if I, if I like, started in, like, 2014, I could probably tell you a lot of differences, because Heavy used to be really good back then. But for for my personal experience, it's just more so, like... Just div difference, honestly. Like, and lower divs, you kind of just get away with whatever. But the higher divs, you kind of like, you just get shut down a lot easier, honestly. Like, heavy could just get like, just absolutely destroyed. Not like an invite. Like, it's really tricky sometimes. So wait, you said um, you said heavy used to be better. Yes. Um, I didn't get to play with it too much because they basically nerfed by then. But heavy used to have a lot more damage, and heavy used to be like the the center of the combo compared to demo man now. Ah, okay. And was that something that sort of took you time to adjust to, like, going from casual to competitive, or anything like that? A little bit, because casual, I'd usually just, someone would just wind up pocketing me, which happened a little bit in Iron, not gonna lie, and I'd just take a bunch of heals, but after the heals went away, it's like, shit, man, this this is actually getting hard. Right, okay. Because you want to rather tank the demo than the heavy, unless it's, you know, situational. How about, like, spies? Like, have have you like had to change the way you play around spy since you started? Like, have the spy players sort of changed at all? Oh yeah, they took a big hit after the ambi nerf. There is a great in iron when a bunch of spies just sit somewhere far away and like miss all their ambi shots. They hit it one once every while, and it did suck when my med takes one hundred and two damage and they can't do anything about that. But man, was it fucking hilarious seeing like a bunch of spies sitting back and missing all the ambi shots, and they would go and lust for stabs. It was great. Nowadays, like it's kind of a mix. Like, spies, like, are a lot better with timing now, obviously, an invite. And they sometimes, even if they're not going for stabs, they have a gun. Like, a actual, like a, gu- a, non- a non-gimmick gun. So, 
that's kind of a pain to look out for. Sometimes you just sit back and calm. So it's actually kind of, tr- sometimes it's even trickier to predict what they're going to do because they, they either just sit back and do nothing or they could be really aggressive about it or like they know how to coordinate. That Those always suck. Like, yeah. Hmm, okay. Uh, do you ever find yourself just trying to intentionally like surf rockets or like spam or anything to bomb into the enemy team as heavy? Or do you think that's a uh, f- bit of a flawed theory? Oh, yeah. But surfing rockets, like, it's kind of tricky. As heavy. I've done it a few times, but. One time I just winded up getting an air shot, so it's kind of hard because Heavy's just not that mobile. <laughs> I see, I see. Yeah, okay. that was a fun astral scrim. <laughs> Alright. Um, okay. What was the player culture like back then? Like, the social side of the scene? Like, how did people usually act? Has there been sort of any real change in that? Um, honestly, like I said, I didn't... I wasn't around too much in the community-wise when I first started, but for, at least from my perspective, I honestly don't think much has changed. And what do you say that's a good thing or a bad thing? Like, Do you think more uh, needs to have changed? It's pretty neutral, honestly. It's, it could be bad and good. Because it could okay. be a lot worse, but it also could be a lot better. Like, players have just been... Like, they just they BM the same, they talk shit the same. Like, Not much has changed mm. at all. And do you think people get kind of like bogged down in that and just end up not really being able to or being willing to make change just due to that sort of neutral is good mindset? Yeah, it's just kind of one of those things like people on the internet, that's just how they act. Like, and I don't know, it's just, at least for TF2, it could be different in other places, but it just always seems like nothing has changed. Yeah, but do you think just sort of like accepting that sort of belief maybe leads to nothing actually changing in reality? I don't know if anyone like intentionally accepts the belief but i guess yeah i guess in a way they're just kind of complacent with how things are like no one's actually gonna go out of the way to improve stuff like it's not that big of a deal like it'd be nice but it's just tf2 at the end of the day like no one's gonna think about being proper having proper manners and online okay uh what was it like leading back then has like sort of the culture around leading changed all over the years a little bit. I know scrims are a little bit goofier to schedule sometimes. Like, I've noticed some people are scheduling, like, several weeks in advance, and it's like, okay, guys, let's, let's take it easy here. But um, leading has been kind of... kind of. Uh, it's hard to say, actually. It seems pretty similar, but there's definitely a change. Maybe I'm a little bit more nostalgic for UGC, but there's definitely a change, but I just don't know how to pinpoint it. But... Mm. Do you, it feels slightly different, though. Do you think most teams just don't really end up using subs that much? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's less roster space, I forgot about that, but... Uh, I don't know. This depends on your teammates, I guess. Hmm, okay. I, I will admit, there were less... I did have to have less players on the team, though, so, I mean, that kind of... kind of helped. I mean, I mean, kind of sucked, kind of didn't. It's... I don't know. Right, okay. Um... Were people like more committed back then, more kind of caring about being on a team? Oh, that's actually interesting because like it feels like they cared a little bit more. At least from my perspective, it, it felt like they cared a little bit more during UGC, which is weird because there wasn't like a prize pool or anything. Hmm. And now that I mean, there was not a prize pool anyways if you're not an invite. But I don't know. I did feel like UGC they did care a little bit more. Right. Do you think that was just due to how many people were in each div? Like there was more of a sense of competition and pride in it. That could be it. I never thought of it like that, because silver was, like... Winning silver, like, it wasn't the most prestigious accomplishment, but it was all, it did meet... It kind of mean something at, at one point. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah, that that could be it, yeah. Okay. 
maybe like people are also just like more optimistic in general about the game back then like so it's something they're more willing to invest passion and care into like while it was still relatively being updated possible yeah because jungle inferno was uh um late october i think it was october 2017 and that's also around the same time i started leading uh, i started leading like literally like i think july 15 2017 so it, it, they definitely that they definitely helped bring life into the game. Like they changed a bunch of weapons and made things interesting. I, I could see it. Okay. All right. And do you think teams were like more of a sen- like? Do you think they individually had more of a sense of community? Like, do you think there were more people just like hanging out doing out of game stuff with their teammates back then? Uh, it's hard to say. I think that that just depends on the team. But with Discord being a thing. But that could help improved it a lot. But I mean, people probably still hung out in Mumble anyways. But I think Discord being a thing helped out with that a lot. So that just kind of depends on the team at this point whether you guys hang out in Discord or whatever. Hmm. Okay. So it's just like yeah, it's not really like the culture itself shifting just as much as like the accessibility of it in a sense. Yeah. Okay. So remember for us, we just kind of na- like I just kind of we just kind of naturally started to, like wanted to hang out after scrims. Like we sit in the mumble for like hours after scrims, and eventually you got Discord, and then yeah, rest became history. Right. So, how do you think Discord impacted the community? Like, do you think it led to there being just more drama due to it being more accessible and like not really as administratable? Like, do you think it sort of like became a lot more fragmented per se socially due to people just having all those small private servers? Uh, I think it just move the problem somewhere else because before discord was like a thing i think it was just on the forums but right discord definitely did help spread it a little bit more i know it's a lot more shit could spread now and do you think that's had like a negative effect on just like the people of the game like socially speaking uh to an extent i guess but i wouldn't i wouldn't know what to say for sure that's fair yeah and do you think there's something that could sort of like be done like do you think do you kind of miss how it was back with the forums compared to now uh it depends like i didn't really use forums that much outside of looking for players and stuff so it's hard to say but i don't know if there's really much you can do without because you're not no one's gonna want to get in trouble for saying stuff on a private discord like it's just kind of how it is unfortunately yeah it's true Uh, do you have any experience with just sort of how, like, non-competitive people treated casual? Like, I'm, other way around, non-casual, uh, non-competitive people, like, were tr- treated the game? Like, I guess, like, the casual players. Uh, ugh, jumbled the freezing around a bit. Like, has- I was just saying, like, how competitive people view casual players, or vice other, versa? Other way around, other way around. Oh, so how casual people view competitive players, yeah. then. Has that sort of uh, changed over the years? Honestly, yes, to an extent, because... It's actually kind of weird now. It depends on the players, but I know it's a lot that think like competitive. A lot of casual players either don't know about it, or they don't care about it, or they just think it's a joke because Valve matchmaking. There's actually a handful of people I've met that think competitive goes comes down to competitive matchmaking, and that makes me sad. And do you think that sort of like did damage to competitive at all? Just like the integrity of it, the sort of accessibility of it, the reputation of it, like and people's sort of willingness to really care about it. Yeah, I think competitive matchmaking kind of screwed over the reputation a little bit, but like I said, it's just TF2 as a game in general, it's not even like a casual versus competitive thing, it's just the game is like so goofy, but at the same time, taken seriously, it can really thrive, so just like, it's just like a natural divide between the two, 
And it kind of just depends on who you are as a player and how you feel about the game. What do you think could be done to heal that divide? Well, updates would help, but I guess just updating it in a like finding like a middle ground between the communities because there are some changes that are made for co- casual players and some that were made for competitive players, hmm. and both the each other, both of them hate each other. Like, about- when they nerfed the AMV, all the five engine, like why'd you do that? Or they changed a bunch of weapons to make them unbanned in sixes, and then they made them bad. Like it's just weird sometimes with that. Hmm. What do you think the community can do about it though? Like the commu- like players, the leagues, the admins, because like if Valve doesn't give a solution to us what can we do about it like do you think it's the sort of thing where it's like there needs to be more content creation and collaboration between competitive and community influences to sort of help humanize both sides of the game uh that'd be nice i, I don't know how much we can do but i will admit there is not much when it comes to um at least when i see when i see tft youtubers it's a very very rare case where like they actually play competitive and talk about it Right. So maybe it's like we could actually, we could like, you know, go out there and do some, like, try and do content creation and just sort of make the, the community seem like an actual community again instead of just like two kind of fragmented parts of one community. Yeah, that'd definitely help, but it just depends on who would actually want to watch it. But I would definitely would like to see more, like, mainstream TF2 YouTubers, like, advertise competitive. I know Musilk did, technically did it one time and no one liked that, but. That did help. That did technically help increase. Even if the players were like a, probably a pain to deal with on TF2 Center, it's st- it's still good to see new influx of players. Like you gotta just you gotta baby them sometimes and we'll wait for them to actually like understand stuff. Like my first lobby was just awful. I didn't even know Bumble worked. I'm surprised they didn't get kicked. So you just gotta you just gotta hold their hand a little bit until they can get the hang of it. Okay. Um, what what do you think the leaks can do to help out us on that front? Not not sure. I mean, they try to advertise their, they try to advertise, but it's just tricky. It's just depend. It's just more of like if people actually care enough to look into it, because hmm. you know sometimes the streams even got to get announced in game. Like, right. I don't know what else there's to do outside of that. I even see people post on Reddit. I think I've seen like Exa and Sigafu post on Reddit a couple times. Uh, do you think it's like they could maybe do like more content creation as well? Like, for instance, on their RGL YouTube channel, just having more sorts of like guides and general resources out there for newer people. Yeah, that could help. I remember like the RGL YouTube, like they do a couple of things that try to like just kind of bring in more people. But they did back when Maven was not really anymore, though. Yeah, it's just it's just weird. Okay, because the videos are just kind of strange in my opinion, but. And they're on the right track, at least. Yeah. Okay, that's definitely fair. Okay. Um. Alright. 